Cougs house. All right. After an exciting victory in Memphis, completed by a last-second shot by Jamal Shedd, we ask the question, is Jim Nance right when at the buzzer he claims number one remains number one? You are Locked On Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougs, daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Andrews, to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater can't stop by, please be sure to subscribe. That will be the latest in the Cougs in your newsfeed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked On Cougs your first listen of the day. Welcome back to YouTube channel. It's good to see you again. Remember, we are giving away a uh, Letterman jacket at 750 subscribers. We are like 742. Two as of the recording of this podcast. So we make sure you get one of those uh, jackets at some point, hit 750, and then we'll be giving away something else at 1000 as well. So we're going to continue to give away things every 250 subscribers. So make sure you subscribe below, get us there, and then be commenting and liking videos so we know who to give the jacket to. Now, if you watch this whole episode and you're kind of still aghast, jaw on the floor, you don't know what to say after beating Memphis in that manner, tell us what kind of cheese you like to put on your cheeseburger. Now, a couple things here. One, uh, we're going to look at the first segment, a couple of stars of the game, obviously starting off with Jamal Shedd. Second, look at like some bigger picture things that led to this win. The word culture comes up a few different times in that segment. And then in the third segment, we're talking about like how this impacts Houston maintaining the number one seed. And look, can they be the number one team overall come the March Madness tournament? Uh, Jim Nance, UH alum, Certainly made it known that he thinks they are at the end of the game. But first, let's talk some about the growth of Jamal Shedd and this game. Now, Kelvin Sampson said after the game um, that one of the things that's benefited this team, and this also comes up in the culture segment in segment two, is that they're not afraid of failure. They're not afraid to fail. They will not be afraid to fail, um, frankly. That not being afraid to fail, you can be like you can see that when Jamal Shedd is dribbling the ball and it's his turn to shoot the shot at the end of this game. Uh, Jamal Shedd himself says said after the game that he remembered a little over a year ago at this point now, it's the fall of 2021 at the Maui Invitational, right? Houston's playing Wisconsin, Houston's top 15 in the country, and frankly, has their full roster, right? Houston made the lead eight last year, but we both know that their roster was kind of depleted after a couple of big injuries. They look really, really talented coming off of a Final Four the year before last, uh, what was this, November? Uh, yeah, November. And they have uh, they have the ball to get a rebound with about six seconds left. Jamal Shedd is driving on the floor and kind of in range to take a floater. Jamal Shedd tries to pass the ball to Kyler Edwards. Kyler Edwards now in the G League catches like catch the ball after the buzzer, right? The ball was in the air and the buzzer sounded on the pass that learning experience from failure a year ago directly translated to this game. Right. So as we go through like the last shot first, and I don't know if that's a dessert first kind of metaphor of what it is, but Jamal shed takes the ball uh, off the inbounds pass and is driving. And you see him looking around as he's going, but you also see his head look at the clock as he catches the ball on like to take off across the full court. Uh, and so he knew how many seconds he had, how many bounces he had, et cetera, playing the situation over in his mind and because he'd had that learning experience a year ago, in this instance, 
He knew when to bump off the defender, raise, and fire, as opposed to raise and look to pass the ball. Now, he said that as he was bringing the ball off the floor, and as he went initially off, tried to go off the screen from Jawan Roberts and came back to his right hand, he did have his eyes up looking for other guys and admits that he saw himself as the fifth option of five on the floor, but then he got over to his right hand, got the guy off of him, pulled up for a jumper, wetted it. By the time that Jim Nance is talking about how this is the number one team in the country, he's in midcourt getting mobbed by his buddies, right? Great, great scene, great, great time. However, uh, you don't get that moment without the other one. I should point out that like this was a Jamal Shedd-led game. A Jamal Shedd himself had 16 points. He and Tremont Mark both had 16 to lead the Cougars in points. He had seven assists, which also led the Cougars um, to a seven three-point line, 6-16 from the field, um, played 39 of the 40 minutes. I think the bigger thing to me, though, was his poise down the stretch. Like, yes, he led the team in points, but he had important baskets. Um, Houston is tied 63-63. Sorry, is at 61. Yeah, tied 63-63. He hits a floater off the right side of the glass to get to 65 right before Memphis comes down and has there a couple times and scores, right? Like he then gets the ball and then hits his big shot. But people forget like two or three minutes or uh, two and a half minutes earlier to get to 63. He also had the pump fake in the lane, the lane go with the left hand. Like he had key made baskets down the stretch that were kind of otherwise broken plays, right? Um, I guess the one that you could argue is at least somewhat of an organized screen and roll was that layup to get to 63 um, with like three minutes to go. But like at the same time, because Jamal Shedd is not a score first type of point guard typically, I mean, he can score obviously, obviously, uh, but because he's not typically a score first kind of guy, I guess you could argue the real trick there was trying to get the ball into the paint and kick it out and in the paint and kick it out. Um, but on the whole, like Jamal Shedd had himself a day and I want to say a day because it was played 11 o'clock central time, but <laughs> I want to say a night, I guess, but that's what we're going to say is called a day. Um, huge, huge moment for Jamal shed. And frankly, it just led to, you know, proving that there is no one you can leave open on this Houston Cougar basketball team. There is no one that can't beat you, right? Tremont Mark can beat you. Juwan Roberts asked Memphis from the first time can beat you. Jarris Walker can beat you. Ask Virginia. Marcus Sasser can beat you. Ask anyone in the American athletic conference. Jamal Shedd on Sunday proved he can beat you. Anyone on the team can beat you. Anyone starting five can beat you. And truthfully, that's what makes this team so dynamic. When people that don't watch this team will go, hey, Parker, what are we looking for when we look at Houston? I'm like, you're looking at phenomenal, best defensive team in the country and a bunch of dudes that can hoop on offense and they figure out who the hot hand is. I can't tell you who's going to score next week. They're going to show it, right? Um, I should point out, though, that you know I said Jamal Shedd had 16 points that tied Tremont Mark for the most um, on the team. Tremont Mark did come out the gate super, super hot. I mean, he had like a basket on a great, uh, they double teamed Juwan. Juwan kicked it out to him. He pumped fake, went to midi, midi Mark right from the mid, mid range. Um, had that, had a steal, had a layup, had a block, came down for a three, like boom, 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 like back and forth. In the first 10 minutes, he was clearly dominating the basketball game in a way that like, he feeds off of opponents, right? He feeds off opponents' crowds for sure. Houston is undefeated on away from home this season, I guess, neutral floors and a road uh, and true road uh, gyms because of guys like him that play with that edge where they can kind of fill in the gaps where like, it wasn't Juwan Roberts best game. We got Tremont. The crowd might be bothering our freshman Jairus back in like December, but we got Tremont, right? Like those kinds of things get filled in by him. Um, 16 points on uh, 10 shots. I like, I, I'm telling you, he had like, 
I guess it's one second half make was somewhere around like the four minute mark where Houston, like is just breaking. I think it was the shot that got Houston to 58. Um, tough contest in the lane. He goes up through it, finishes with contact. He finished a couple with contact and argue, I'd argue one of his missed threes. He actually got fouled on um, and they called it a block, but I digressing. It's hard not to talk about like the double clutch layup or the Tremont Mark first half in part of this victory too, right? Like, he was the guy, it seemed like, for a long time in the first half. Memphis was like, hey, if he's going to beat us, he's going to beat us. And then they were down by eight. Like, oh, crap. He's the one that's going to beat us. Today. Like, he's that kind of guy as well. When he's got that mid-range game going and the three-point line, because you can't close out at two of them at the three because of pump fake, one dribble, pull up. But he also, if you, like, sag off and try and keep the pull up, will wet it in your face. So, like, he's all good at all those things. Uh, Jamal Mark's really, really impactful in this game. That's not to diminish Marcus Sasser's. 13 points the way they cover him is different and the way they cover him obviously opens up other guys as well um jairus walker had some important stretches you know he he went two of five and three point lines so those first two clinched oh gosh me one of those kind of days and they kind of got in his rhythm over the course of it i loved his little turn on right hook i think he had two of two out of three from that area you know little dream shake pops his right come back to his left shoulder put his right hook up um a couple of those are really really nice in the lane on the whole We'll get to more of this in the second segment. We talk about like what won this game schematically for Houston. Again, culture comes in to be a big part of that, even though it's not a scheme. Um, they were content with finding him in the post, uh, Jairus, that is, and working off of him that way. Um, whereas Jawan, while Jawan did have an assist, I, I guess, um, they had to get the ball out of his hands on the post because of what Memphis was, was doing to him. I want to get more into that in a second, but first, let's talk about our buddies at Built. Now, if you're looking for a delicious treat but don't want all the fat and calories, then you've got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays, and I know my goal is to eat a little bit healthier this year. If you're like me and you want to eat healthier but you don't want to compromise on taste, then, man, I've got just a thing for you. you got to try Built. With Built, healthy is actually tasty. Seriously, they're so delicious, you won't think they're good for you. Perfect for your New Year's resolution. What makes Built Bar so good? Well, for starters, they're all covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right real chocolate and they come in unbelievable flavors like churro peanut butter brownie and coconut almond i'm not sure how bill does it but these bars taste like a candy bar while maintaining amazing macros and what's even better is that they are healthy only 130 calories four grams of sugar and a whopping 17 grams of protein in most bars and now you don't need to wait around and get a box for years we've been talking about going to built.com to order your built bars now you can get them at your local walmart or sam's club that's right head to your nearest walmart today walk to the pharmacy and grab yourself a box of built bars you can pick up a four bar box of cookies and cream double chocolate or coconut puffs if you're close to a sam's club you can run in and grab a 13 bar box with our hit flavors brownie batter and churro you can thank me later i am going to continue to recommend though as a teacher grabbing a couple of those things on way at the door to breakfast every morning coconut almond is an almond joy all right March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. So in the second segment, I said I want to say a little bit about um, kind of the schematic things that won this game. 
But on the whole, and I openly talking talking about Jamal Shedd's failure uh, a little over a year ago and had that directly tied to this game, Samson talked about over and over again how this team is not afraid to fail. And to Samson's credit, and I said this back when I was offering my criticism a couple weeks ago at this point, their failure in the zone against East Carolina, against uh, Temple for a stretch, against a handful of teams that run the zone defense out for a couple of minutes, and it failed. And I was critical of, like, why are we doing this for a few minutes at the end of the game? Came back to win the game in a lot of ways today, or Sunday, I should say. I'm recording at the end of the day Sunday. It's actually, I guess, technically it's almost Monday. Um, but the, those failures in zone led directly to what meant what Houston will do to shut down Memphis in the second half of this basketball game. And even their failures in their own first half of this game against with the zone, because what it did was it slowed down Memphis's offense and it kept them off the foul line on the whole Memphis shot 23 free throws in this basketball game. It was 21 to 23 from the free throw line. That is uncharacteristically high. Houston uh, Memphis is a notoriously, we'll say less than average free throw shooting team. They got a high number of them and shot a crazy high percentage of them. Kendrick Davis himself shot 11 to 12 from the free throw line. Um, huge, huge shooting day for them. They definitely rode the home crowd on their way there. However, when Houston went zone, they were less apt to foul. They made Memphis make other mistakes. Now, did they bleed a few baskets here and there? And yes, but it, it took long possessions for that to happen. And when Houston had their lead down the stretch, they were okay with that, right? It was like, oh, if you're going to take 30 seconds to score and we're not stopping the clock line and get free throws, we can keep this thing running, right? We'll be okay. Um, I was hypercritical of this team when they had failures in the zone early in the season because I just it's not the best defense they run. They're the best team in the country when they're in man-to-man defense. They have the top-ranked defense in a lot of different metrics, and they base prime almost entirely out of a primarily, I call it a 55 with a uh, blitz in the ball screen kind of defense, right? Like that, it's not crazy difficult to see. But when they change it up, you saw them make Memphis think. Memphis had to realize, oh man, we practice all week with a game plan. Ahead. Hit it this way. Hit this. Hit that. And it was kind of successful. And then they had to go change up what they're doing. Not that it didn't make like didn't lead them scoring. They just had to think through what they're doing and had to slow them down some. Um, so my bad coach, go work there. Um, again, like there's a reason he's coach Hampson and I coach where I coach. But I do think that it's worth pointing out that like that is growth off of those same failures. Those that five minutes or so, they went about six and a half minutes without a field goal, but five minutes of that was without a point in the second half was so, so crucial. Houston goes from down five to up five on a 10-0 run that spanned about three minutes of the last five minutes. That is so tremendous, so important in these tight March basketball games. And for all the flaws of Memphis, they've played 15 single-digit basketball games this season. That should have been in their wheelhouse, right? That Houston is winning by the the NCAA D1, whatever, like top margin of victory, like blowing teams out of the water, buying low. I mean, we talked about 38-point wins before. You and I talked about 28-point wins before. Like, like it's nothing. Memphis is playing everything nip and tuck, and that should have been the kind of game they were super comfortable with. And you kind of saw it down the stretch, like when they got the offensive rebound and were quick, like able to find Kendrick Davis really quickly. They also like their shot they got off right before that, they got the offensive rebound on was like fairly like well-run play. All of those things, right, indicate that that team is comfortable in the clutch, and it didn't matter, right? 
Houston was able to outclutch the team that is as comfortable in clutch as anybody in America. Um, and it was fascinating to see, like, again, Houston was just ready for the moment in, a, in an interesting, interesting way. Um, I want to talk about culture and like how that ties into a lot of this. I mean, the toughness you saw a bunch of offensive rebounds. Houston had nine offensive rebounds in a game where every single play was contested. Um, on the whole, they're technically out rebound in this game. Um, I don't want to get too, too crazy about some of those. I mean, like block, like Houston also had six blocks. So are those just the way the angle blocked end up falling back in the hands of Memphis. Um, and those do count as rebounds. But I think the interesting thing to me was not actually like every single rebound they got. I feel like every single offensive rebound they got turned into good offense for Houston. So it's really, really like valuing the ball and valuing possessions. Even though they had 14 turnovers and, um, <laughs> You know, like I could talk about the Jairus Walker's bad travel, um, but the the turnover I want to talk about that's actually demonstrated the culture of me was a few pos- two possessions later, three possessions later, um, when Marcus Sasser's getting trapped up by the you know half court line. So Houston has called timeout. There's about thirty seconds left. They're trying to get the ball in. Uh, they get the ball into Marcus Sasser in the back court, and he dribbles the one spot on the floor that you're probably not supposed to against a trap. But Sasser has been known in his time, Houston, to welcome the trap and then pass out of it. So the trap comes to him as he crosses that court. He's got, we call, as I coach, the four defenders, the free, the half-court line, the out-of-bounds line, and then the two actual defenders, right, keeping him in a four-person box, kind of. And so you see across the court, Samson is flipping his lid, trying to get a timeout call before Sasser releases the ball. It is visible. I, like, I can pause it right now as I pull up the game. Um he is clearly calling a timeout and in the ref's ear across from the court where this is happening, right? No timeout called. Sasser flips the ball to Jarris. Jarris is trying to fall out of bounds and catch it. The ball goes out of bounds. It's Memphis's ball, right? Other teams, other cultures, teams that are not the number one team in the country collapse there. They're flipping out for the next 10 minutes, the next five minutes, the next 30 seconds of gameplay, which would have been the rest of the basketball game for sure, about why they got screwed on that call. Houston, Come on, man. Gets in the huddle. They're ready to go. Right? Like, we're done. Right? That's all it took. We got to play basketball. Like, there is basketball left to be played. We can't complain about this now. And that's culture and that's resilient winning culture that Samson's built in his time here. Right? That's we talk about how great Samson is and how fantastic the program has been, how quickly, exponentially the program has risen with him at the helm. It's because of stuff like that. Right? Um, I also want to point out like the, the same resiliency and the same like strength and culture was not shaken by crazy things happening. Like this guy, Chandler Lawson, I'm looking at this correct. He's made three threes all season. He made two of, he shot two of three from the three point line against Houston, right? He didn't make a single three last year, right? He made two against Houston on Sunday. <laughs> like again, Instead of just throwing their hands like it's just not our night, they said, okay, he's shooting threes. Got to close out. And then the third one, we got to keep playing. We got to play on the three point line now, right? Like those kinds of things are not a thing, are not things every team does. Um, again, like I, I could go on and on more about the culture and schematic things. I thought it was interesting that in the first Memphis matchup, Penny let Jawan Roberts beat him, right? Penny Hardaway, Memphis coach, let Houston big man Jawan Roberts beat him at the block, had a career high to that point of 20 points, and they kept feeding him down low, feeding him in the drop spot, feeding him in the mic and spot, et cetera. Bop, 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 right? In this game, they took that away. They said, we're going to double whoever's in the post every single time. Jarvis kind of got a little work out of it. That was okay. Um, and frankly, I thought Reggie Cheney did a really good job 
of rolling to it and hitting that spot on the run. So he's harder to double. He only got four points. So I thought it was interesting the way they used him. Um, it clearly rattled or took Juwan Roberts out of the offense. Juwan Roberts did not, after having his, at the time, career high against Memphis, the last time they played, he didn't attempt a field goal in this game. But there was no sulking, no punching chairs, no frustrations. It was just, hey, someone else got to do it tonight. And that was all that the red and white needed. I guess red and black needed, right? That, that was all Houston needed in the Memphis game. It was like, hey, it's not Jawan's day. I need someone else. Insert Jamon Mark. Insert uh, Jamal Shed. Insert somebody else. It was there, right? Um, and that's, again, just not a thing everyone did. Now, you saw it on the very first play. They were in the classic backstring cut to get Jawan Roberts on the block. And they doubled him like as soon as he caught it because they know Houston likes to go to Juwan uh, Roberts early, like literally the first possession early every single basketball game, right? What they did was they doubled it, and then Houston started to cut through, clear the lane, popped to Jermon, Jermon, pump fake, dribble, mid-range. It's Jermon's day, right? That was the kind of way, the way things are going to go in that basketball game. Um, I, I want to talk a little bit about how this game impacts Houston as a whole in the third segment. Before we move on to there, I should say that Kendrick Davis, while it's hard to like, he's an SMU guy, He's technically a TCU guy before that, right? Uh, SMU guy and then a uh, Memphis guy. And I guess those are both teams that it's fun to hate on. Um, he is really, really good at basketball. And he, as a Houstonian himself, right, did kind of take it to double teams and traps and things like that. And so what Houston did to adjust there was, oh, he's getting a lot of calls attacking the trap here. They're going to soft switch, which means they switch and recover, switch and recover, right? And in those instances, too, it's like this adjustment mid-game, like, hey, they practice too. They play too. They're pretty good too. We got to figure this out. Right. And I just, it was a really, really impressive as a coach. I selfishly want to say coaching performance out of Kelvin Stanson. But the truth is, is he's not doing a whole bunch of hollow. I mean, he's not a quiet fella, but he's not like doing a whole bunch of hollering mid game. He's not tossing chairs like Bobby Knight. Right. He's not like ripping into guys on the sideline during free throws like, like change. Like he's not doing all that stuff either. Right. He just built a program where those guys are doing it themselves because of stuff he's taught them in the past. Uh, I want to jump into, in the third segment, how this impacts being a number one overall seed. So let's get to it. Um, and as number one overall seed, I should point out first that like what that means is, is when Selection Sunday is happening and your AD gets the call, you get the first pick as far as like what region you're going to play in. It sounds like the closest and thus like most likely first weekend scenario is going to be Alabama um, going to be playing in Birmingham. And I, you know, I guess that is technically the closest I'd like to know more about my options. And frankly, with the final four being in Houston, there's going to be no other tournament games in the state of Texas doesn't look like, right? So it's like Birmingham is going to be the closest. The uh, sweet 16 weekend, sweet 16 elite eight, uh, that round, the second weekend of the three weekends, um, I guess that's the one that's up for grabs. Like, where do you play? The big interesting discussion is that there's a weird, a weird world where like Houston could play in like any of them, right? Of the top tier teams, if UCLA does not make the cut for a one seed, Houston is the farthest west and would therefore be playing in Las Vegas, Nevada. Fun for the rest of us, but kind of a long way away from home for the Cougs, right? In some ways, they're the only team. I mean, it's if they're ranked higher than Kansas, you know, then as a team higher than Kansas, they claim the middle, the central time zone, which means they're in uh, Kansas city, Missouri, 
right? Kansas City, Kansas, Kansas, and Missouri right there on the line, right? And so, again, that's as long as they're not playing Kansas State or Kansas, that's fine, right? It's, I guess, the next closest to home. Um, there's Louisville, Kentucky, right? If you call them the southernmost team or the highest ranked southern team, but that's also not far from Alabama. We know that Alabama, Tuscaloosa, like Alabama's in this thing in the same, you know, area. Um, and then, frankly, there's some weird way where if you totally screwed Houston, you put Alabama, Kansas, and UCLA all above them, but they're still number one seed. They'd be playing in the Easter region, which would put them in New York City. <laughs> I mean, like the garden's fun, but like that's really far away. Um, and so it's like if Houston can actually earn the one seed, they have some sort of a say. And it's, I don't know what Pe- what Pesman would want if he'd want uh, Kansas City, if he'd want Vegas because it's like a big place you get your fans to. If he wants Louisville because it's not that far, I don't know what he wants. What I do know is is that if you get the one seed, you at least get some say in it. Right. If you get the number one overall seed, you get some say in it. And so I have to imagine that that's important. Jim Nance said at the end of the broadcast and then in after the game, talking to Andy Yanez of Gallery Sports, that he thinks Houston can be the one overall seed with a good performance in the American Athletic Conference tournament. And he thinks they're at least a number one seed after their victory against Memphis. I would say that I kind of feel the same way about the number one seed against Memphis. I worry that if Kansas wins the Big 12 tournament and Alabama wins the SEC tournament and UCLA wins the Pac-12 tournament, you're going to have a hard time saying the number one overall team just based on conference tournament plays. Um, and that may be kind of where it gets tricky, but we'll also see how those things go. I mean, we saw chaos happen all weekend long. I also will say that there's no reason Houston is not the number one team on Monday after regular season basketball is over because they were – getting votes to be the number one team in the country and number two, Alabama and number three, Kansas both came to the great state of Texas and lost over the weekend. Right now, say what you want to say about Texas A&M college station in Texas, Austin, but both of those schools helped Houston out a whole lot by knocking off Alabama and Kansas respectively in the state of Texas and kind of showing like, Hey, yes, these are quad, whatever victories. And that's a, that's a, a big, you know, big moment for those Texas schools. But it's also lost in the resume for Alabama and Kansas that Houston doesn't have, right? Um, Houston is undefeated away from home. Houston was up by 15 in one of their two losses this season. And Houston, in the other loss, had a shot at, had a layup at the buzzer that hit the back rim. Like, there is a not so crazy world where Houston is undefeated in this moment. Now, Will Sampson point out to me, and I'm sure if Sampson watches this and where the comments are, he'd probably point out, hey, if the Alabama game doesn't happen, you probably have a loss at a different point because they don't, they don't learn the lesson. Blah, 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 blah. Probably fair. Co- you know, coaches cap on. That's probably true. I'm just pointing out that Houston is going to end up being almost undefeated on the season and, frankly, like have better basketball left to play, <laughs> right? Like they're continuing to grow and develop as a team, and they're still like, as good as anybody from a resume perspective. Um, the big win for another top five team where the weekend was UCLA beating Arizona on Saturday by nine. Uh, the game was in Los Angeles, but if like, can UCLA jump from four to one? I don't know if there can be a victory on their, re- on their like schedule that did it, it would be that one. Right. So we'll see what, where, the, excuse me, I'm sorry, where they move to um, Marquette struggle with St. John's. I guess they did win. But like Baylor and Kansas State both lost. Um, Tennessee lost another one. They're kind of in a downslide to end the season. And so as you look at these things, I I guess like 
Purdue at number five can move up. Um, but I think Houston ought to be fairly solid to remain number one. Um, if you want to talk to me about all things Houston Cougars, football, basketball, baseball is coming up. Rockets, Astros, Texans, NFL draft, whatever. You can find me at Painsworth 512. It's P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H 512 to talk all things Cougs. I'm happy to talk all things City of Houston. Uh, I'm also typically doing a game thread based on games. Now, obviously, I told you guys on uh, Friday and Saturday's episodes that I wasn't going to be able to do that for the Memphis game. Uh, my wife and I had to go um, to what was an emotional weekend for her family. Um, and so I want to say thanks to the folks that like reached out and said something about that. Also, I want to say um, thanks to the people that were patient with me about not being able to do the game thread uh, as I typically do. It's fun to interact with you guys and those kind of things, but I didn't get to do that this weekend. Um, obviously, we'll start back up with those on the American Athletic Conference Tournament on Friday. Just wasn't the moment for that um, this week, and I, I, I need to be a family. Um, I will say that, uh, and I tweeted this out, and I'm very, very serious, getting that notification a little while after it happened um, that Jamal Shedd had made a buzzer beater to beat Memphis was awesome. <laughs> um, after what was a rough weekend, it was and a, a rough weekend in a good way. It went as good as it could go. Um, but it was a great notification to get. I also should point out that I wanted to make sure I waited to watch the whole game. And I should probably think, shit, can I think the draft, the draft Matic on YouTube for posting the entire hour and 16 minute video of the Memphis game um, because games from CBS can be hard to find on the internet. Um, so <clears throat> thank you to all of the people that like had some part in, in, in hand and allowing this to still happen. Um, obviously that's hopefully behind us for a little bit. Um, and so we'll be all things Cougs, all things Houston all the time. So make sure you find me at Paynesworth 512 P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H 512 on Twitter, Instagram, and all these social media handles. Uh, if you're looking for a second list of the day, I'm going to rec recommend Locked On College Basketball because A, Andy and Isaac know a great deal about college basketball, doing college basketball show each and every day. Their Monday show always has like a six pack of things and recaps the big week in, bat in hoops and talks about who should be number one and those kinds of things. It's a very cougar friendly show, so I'm expecting some good news from that as well. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. Locked On Cougs is a proud member of Locked On Podcast Network. That means your team, or in our case, the number one team in the country every day. 